copy of the scriptures. Let's go to Malachi. Malachi. Also, see Miss Linda. Good to see Miss Linda. Continue to keep uh, Jimmy Carr in prayer as well. He is home, correct? So just continue to, to pray for him as well. Um, and I know there's lots of others. Anybody else out there got a prayer request on their heart? Raise your hand real high. Everybody got a prayer request on their heart, don't they? Okay, if not, we'll pray for those of you who didn't raise your hand because you're not being honest. All right. <laughs> but uh, we, we all have things that we have to uh, bring to the Lord. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Guys, I'm excited. We're in a book study. Hallelujah. Yes. Until you hear this message today. Then you're all going to be mad and go home and be like, ah, I just don't do it. Anyway, this is a difficult subject. I'm going to go ahead and let you know up front. And my intent is not to shy away. A lot of times, pastors will just sort of hop over those difficult passages. Can I just tell you, that's an easy thought to want to do. And uh, by God's grace, we're not going to do that today. We're going to drill down into the text, and we're going to talk about some things, and it's going to shake some of you in your faith. It's going to cause some of you to go home and have all kinds of perplexing questions and thoughts and internal dialogues and struggles, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but it's a subject that really, when we get down to it, I don't want us to lose sight of because I don't want to drill down so much that we miss the picture of what the text is about. And I'm afraid too oftentimes theologically us Bible nerds do that. And so I want to be careful to keep an overview while going deep into the water without losing the context of the passage. So please hear me on that up front, because I know it's going to be real easy, because trust me, in my studies this week, I kept coming home, and, I, and it was like rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and it's like, can become maddening, right? Isn't that what they said about Paul's uh, writings? It can become sometimes difficult, but again, we need to study to show ourselves approved. Malachi is the book we're in, chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1. I want to talk, though, before we get into the study this morning, before we tee up the theme of this message, about this man named Oliver Cromwell. Anybody ever heard of Oliver Cromwell? A few history buffs. Well, during the 17th century, when he lived, during the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Proctor of England, sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. However, the bell did not sound that evening. You see, the soldier's fiance had climbed into the belfry and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept and showed him her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. And we hear that story and it's a picture of 
sacrificial love. And no greater love is this than that someone lay down their life for you. And of course, we know as followers of Christ, that is the greatest love ever given on display. Is through the cruel cross of Calvary. And Christ would show you His bruised and bleeding hands at the sacrifice and love that He had for the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Sacrificial love on full display. Now, hey, next Sunday, uh, or, uh, well, next Monday is the official Valentine's Day, right? So all you dating couples, you're on notice. Us married couples, eh. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't get, I, I'm going to get some of y'all in trouble. Okay, whatever your household believes in, okay, on the, on the Valentine's thing. I personally think it's just a big marketing scheme to get more of your money, but that's just me. I'm thankful my bride feels the same way. Hallelujah, I married up. Of course, y'all knew that. But we're going to be talking about love, right? Love's going to be the theme. And, and again, we want to make sure that when we discuss love that we define love properly. The Bible talks about agape love, not eros love, not that erotica love, not that sensual love that the world is constantly throwing at you. That's not love, that's lust. And you better know the difference. Those lusts will lead you down a path of destruction. Love is actually the theme of today's study. The love of God. And so, if you would, as we look to our Creator, uh, our Sustainer, uh, our Savior, I, I pray that today the love of God will be on display. Uh, it, join me, if you would, in reading the text here in Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, you can see it up here on the screen. Follow along, if you would. The burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved. But Esau, I've hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we've been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will anoint me to teach and preach the truth of your Holy Scripture. I pray that you will fill me with your Spirit, overflowing that 
the teaching would be your teaching, Lord, not my own. Lord, that our theological presuppositions would be laid aside for the authoritative truth of your word. And that you will teach us today about your grace, about your love in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. The first thing we need to talk about is the divine. Again, you know the history. We talked about this last week in the introduction. We teed up what's going on here, Malachi. These people, the Israelites, they had been in captivity, right? They, 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 they finally come out of Babylonian captivity. After 70 plus years of captivity, they're back in the land. Now they've been back in the land, their homeland, for almost 100 years. They've seen, uh, uh, once they came back initially into the land, uh, their, own, their own land into Jerusalem, they began to rebuild the city that was just desolated, torn down. They had been able to rebuild the city. Not only had they been able to be, rebuild the city, they rebuilt the temple. And temple worship had been restored. And in those early days, when you go back to Ezra and Nehemiah and you read through that, you see the excitement. We saw in Haggai, this, this, again, this hallelujah kind of praise God. We're back in our land. We're set free. We're able to worship. And yet, now we find ourselves, shortly after Nehemiah's uh, rebuilding of the walls, sent back under the Assyrian uh, leadership, which allowed them to go back in and begin to uh, rebuild the walls of the city. we see there's a complacency, an apathy. And so this question stirs in their heart. God knows their heart. And so the divine is going to send a messenger. Notice if you would here in the text. Notice it begins with the burden of the word of the Lord. Can I just stop right here? Every preacher in the room said, Amen. Brother Mark, you know what it's like to have a burden on your heart. The Word of God, it's heavy on you. You know the truth of Scripture. You know the truth that the people need to hear. But you're pretty sure oftentimes they're not going to hear it. And, and, and this, this word that's used here, this idea of the burden, it's the oracle of God. God tells us in the New Testament as, as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, we are to speak as if we speak the very oracles of God. And that's a heavy burden every time that we step into this pulpit. It's not something I ever want to take lightly. Because I give an account. I have to give. I'm one who must give an account for what is shared. And so this letter begins with the burden, the oracle, the prophecy of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, by the very hand of, as it's literally translated. You know, it's interesting to note the very words are, are again, it's divine revelation. Thus saith the Lord. For it is God who speaks in them and not man. This isn't Malachi's message. This isn't Pastor Jeremy's message. It's not Pastor Mark's message. Our desire and goal is that whenever we stand and proclaim the truth of God's Word, that as we speak the truth, praise be to God. For it's His Word. And we're simply mailmen seeking to deliver the mail faithfully and obediently. 
You see, though, this is interesting to the people here in Israel. Because who are they surrounded by? Who did they just come out of captivity from? Who's still oppressing the land throughout? These heathenistic nations, these idolatrous nations, those who have false idol after false idol after false idol. And so a God who speaks is meant to be contrasted with the heathen idols that could not speak. In fact, the Hebrew word for idol means silent nothing. Isn't that interesting? Think about that for a second. The Hebrew word for idol means silent nothing. But Malachi's God could speak. And his words will come true. You see, false prophets, they can only predict, but only the true message from God will come to pass. And so right from the start, it's important for you and I to understand that the message that we're hearing is a divine message. The people of that day, of that time period, they had come back into the land. They were hearing a message from the messenger of God, but it was God's message to them. And so what is God's message here? Well, we begin the declaration. You remember last week we talked about it. The the book of Malachi is going to be made up of a series of disputes, declarations. God's going to declare something. He's going to say something. The people are going to dispute it, right? And then God's going to discuss it. Or I I should say He's going to um, define it because when God speaks, end of discussion, right? And that's going to be the repeat pattern throughout this book. Some have said six disputes, I believe seven. One of them's broken up. It's it's the same topic, but it's broken up in two different parts. We'll look at that. Regardless, you'll follow the theme. You'll catch on to this as we go through this. And so the first one is the declaration. What's the first declaration? Notice what the text says, verse 2. Right out of the start, God wants them to know something. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. I've loved you. Church, I want you to hear the same message. Yes, this was to the people of Israel at this appointed time, but can I tell you the same message rings true today for God's people? I have loved you. I love you, says God. I love you. The word used here for love in Malachi 1-2, it's in the perfect tense. It's signifying a completed action with continued ramifications. Think about that for a second. It's a perfect tense. It it means it's a completed action with continued ramifications. It's used in the Old Testament to refer to God's covenantal love. Again, it's important to understand God's covenant with Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, David. I mean, we see throughout these covenants that, that are laid out in Scripture. And so in the Old Testament, it often refers to the covenantal love. It's used for Israel or individuals 23 of those times. So God declares right from the start through His prophet Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now notice the dispute. What is their response? Um, let me continue here in part two before we go to part three. He says, the people say... What do you mean? How have you loved us? In what way have you loved us? I mean, think about this for a minute. God has just told them, I've loved you, and they're bringing that into question. They're calling that into question. Every parent in this room has felt this at some point, (laughs) right? 
you know, your kid doesn't get their way. You just don't love me. You know, maybe it's not been quite that dramatic. I'm going to embarrass my kids, and I need to, because I'm a pastor, and they're pastor's kids. My wife and I could not sleep this week because my daughters took it upon themselves to have a deep discussion of who was loved the most. Which is the favored child in the Varner home? And this just could not wait till daylight. It had to be between the hours of, oh, I don't know, midnight and 2 a.m. And I mean, they were, they were all drilling down as to who was the favorite. And so Alice and I, you know, being the parents that we are, the loving parents that we are, opened the door and stood there, both of us, to put an end to this. And so we asked them, well, which of their parents did they love the most? I don't want to tell you what they answered. <laughs> the funny thing was they were real quick to give that answer too. But anyway. Look, why in the world, you know, and you as a parent, you know that if a kid ever questions that. Come on, man. I have been taking care of your snotty little poopy butt for years. I have been pouring into you. I've been sacrificing day after day, putting food on your table, a roof over your head, and you wonder if I love you? Get a job. Get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. Of course we love you. Of course God loves you. But the people are asking, how have you loved us? The people of Israel were like the Janet Jackson of the day. What have you done for me lately? You put that one on your next show. Anyway. Or for you older folks, it's more like the, the uh, was it the Isley, Everly Brothers? You've lost that love and feeling? <laughs> okay. The Righteous Brothers? Thank you, thank you. I knew Zach would get me there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's a good memory. But yeah, this is their attitude. How have you loved us? You, 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 I mean, we're, we're, we're you know... Nah, it's just sort of humdrum. In church, do we not often get this way? I mean, think about how blessed we are in this nation. Think about the fact that you are sitting in a beautiful sanctuary today, that we are free to worship a holy God, resurrected, risen Lord. And yet, we somehow want to go through life as if we question God's love for us? Well, what have you done for me lately, God? And that's the attitude and the dispute that's, that's, that's being brought to the forefront here by the Israelites. They ask the question, in what way have you loved us? Now think about it. God could have given them all kinds of answers. All kinds of answers. Well, first off, I created you. Secondly, I give you breath and have sustained you. Oh, you remember the Exodus? You remember the parting of the Red Sea? You remember when you cried out for wanting something to drink? And you remember when you were hungry? I mean, he could have gone through a long list of things to remind them of how much he loved them. Did I not just bring you out of Babylonian captivity? Did I not just put you back in your land? Did I not just allow you to, to rebuild the temple and begin work? Did I not allow you to prosper again? But they had lost sight of that. And isn't that just like human nature? Well, who is me? Well, who is me? I'm going to sit under this juniper tree and I want you to feel sorry for me for all of my troubles and all of my woes. And would you please 
stroke me for a little while because I feel bad. That's how we act. That's how we are in our Adamic nature. They're asking and reacting in the same manner in which we do oftentimes, church, when we get apathetic or complacent. They're asking, what ways have you loved us? Notice God's response. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord. Huh? Maybe you missed our question, God. I don't recall talking about Esau and Jacob. What? 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 <laughs> Why does God say this? This is his answer. His response was not Esau, Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Huh? Okay, put on your big boy pants. Here we go. Let me start this little section of conversation because we're going to go down one of these little rabbit holes for a little while. But I don't want you to lose sight of the big picture. Why does God raise this point? And I want to propose to you this one thought. When you look at this word hated, because that's where we tend to want to draw our heart and attention to, when we actually should be doing the other. And so that's why I want us to focus on that. The amazing thing is not that God hated Esau, but that he would ever, ever choose to love a lying and conniving Jacob. And we're all Jacob's. Why would God choose to save anyone? Do we not know what we've done to our Creator? Do we not know how we've rejected Him and spit in His face every day of our life by the way we choose to live apart from Him, not at center of our lives, not interested in the things of, of holiness, not desirous to worship Him with our bodies as living sacrifices? I mean, come on, let's just be real. We don't deserve anything but His wrath. I mean, I don't send somebody a birthday card and they hate me. I'm, that's a little facetious, but you know what I'm saying. The exaggeration, the hyperbole is meant to have an effect. But isn't this true in your own life? Oh, oh I know some of y'all have cut off relationships because of, you know, petty things. And that's usually what happens in the church is petty things. But we're to display the love of Christ, love for one another. And we can't even forgive a brother or sister over something boneheaded that we can't even remember what specifically was done. It's amazing that God would even love anyone. We don't deserve love. We can't earn it. But isn't that what grace is all about? Getting unmerited favor, getting something that you can't earn, nothing, it's something you do not deserve, it's a gift from God. That's what a gift is. It's a gift. And so the dispute is, in what ways have you loved us? And he says, Esau, I have hated. 
Jacob I have loved. We need to understand this story if we're going to go anywhere. So I want you to hold your spot here. And I want us to go, because again, we've got to lay out this, this account. Everybody go, if you would, in your Bibles to Genesis 25. And I'll put this up on the screen. Genesis 25, 19 through 34. I won't have the Scripture up on the screen, but I will have the reference on the screen. So, hold your spot, and let's go to Genesis 25. Let's look in verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name. Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That's the story of Esau and Jacob. Now, if we leave it there, you get a little backdrop. No doubt, this contrast is laid out between these two. 
Again, the oldest had the birthright. In the culture and in the time, it was rightful for him to inherit the blessing. But he sold it away for this world's goods, for a bowl of lentil soup. And he despised it. We see his hard attitude in this. He didn't care about the things of God. He didn't care about the birthright. He didn't care about these things. There was a, a lot that can be laid out here. But we also recognize Jacob and his character, do we not? Sneaky guy. I'm sure this wasn't the first conversation these two had had over the birthright. We also know what God had said would happen. But let's get a little better insight as to what God said. Everybody go to Romans, into the New Testament. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 9. And my prayer again is that the Spirit of God will take the whole of Scripture to help you in understanding these truths. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 29. But it is not that the Word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children, follow this, verse 11, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of Him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? This poses a question. Ooh, what do we say to that? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because see, in our mind we say, well, this just doesn't seem fair. Uh, let me remind you, you don't want what's fair. Do you? Do you really want what's fair? I don't. Man, boy, I don't want what's fair. I know what I would get and then some if I got what was fair. I want mercy. I want grace. I desperately need that. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, by the way, we've been in this in our quiet times for those of you in the Word of Life. 
he said this in the Scripture. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me then, well, why, why does he still find fault then? If God hardens you, then, then how can he blame you? If he's doing it, isn't this what it says? I'm not, I'm not making this up, guys. I'm just reading the Scripture. Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? I, I, I can't resist God. Who are you? Can you resist God? I can't resist his will. So you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Verse 20, But indeed, old man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show His wrath, and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people, who were not my people, and her beloved, who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. We see God's promise and plan in this section, do we not? And again, whether we agree or disagree, the Scriptures speak very plainly there. But we're not done. Let's go to Hebrews, because we're going to get more of the story in Hebrews. So let's, let's all take the text. Let's go over here. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, my, my prayer, my desire is try not to interject very, but very, very little here and simply let the Scriptures proclaim what the Scriptures proclaim. Notice, if you would, in verse 12 of chapter 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame 
may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like who? Like Esau. We get a little more look into the very character of Esau, do we not? Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Though he sought it diligently with tears. That's a very sad commentary, is it not? It's a very sobering thought for us as well, guys. A very sobering thought. The Lord says, My spirit will not always strive with man. You see, God's election then is not influenced by human interaction or cooperation. He chose Abraham, did He not? Of all the people in the world, He chose Abraham. Not because Abraham was just a swell guy. He chose Abraham's son, Isaac. Again, remember, he made a covenant with Abraham, right? He made a covenant. Go back at some point and read Genesis 15. He makes a promise to Abraham. By the way, what part did Abraham have in the covenant? What was old Abe doing when God was setting up his promise? Anybody remember? That's right. He was, he was snoring logs. He was asleep. To prove the point that it's God and God alone that can purchase your promised salvation. Apart from the grace of God, we're still asleep, dead in our trespasses and sin. So, he chose Abraham's son Isaac instead of his half brother Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? Remember, remember Abraham's going to try and work the promises of God in his own strength. Bring me your maiden, you know. And he, he has sexual relationship with the lady who's not his wife. She births Ishmael, right? Mm-mm. That ain't how it's coming about. That ain't how you're going to get the promised seed that God... So, so again, lessons there. We're not going to work God's will in the flesh. This is the work of God. He chose Jacob over his older brother. We just read the text before they'd ever done anything good or bad. God had made that decision, right? Esau, he chose... I'm sorry, yeah. Um, he chose Jacob over uh, his older brother Esau. He chose the Israelites over all other nations. But he did not choose them based on their merit. 
Newsflash, church. He ain't chose you over your merits. You're not earning any more favor by being good little sinners. That doesn't earn you merit. Now we should seek to live separate and holy lives, and I'll speak on that in just a moment, but it's not to earn right standing with God. We can't. We'll never get to heaven by pulling ourselves up, by doing better, or by our own bootstraps. But these all were given grace, and they exercised faith in the grace given. Think about it. God called Abraham. What else do we know about Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness' sake. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And by the way, it's not of works, lest anybody should boast about it. Guys, apart from the grace of God, you don't want to do anything but stay asleep, dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what Scripture tells us. Christ came into the world, came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him, because man loves darkness rather than light. There's none that seeks after Him. This is what the Scriptures say. So when we think about these truths, as hard-hitting as they are, and sometimes they, they, they don't necessarily hit us real good in our emotional side. But we must focus on the very character and nature of God. God is holy. God is good. And everything He does by definition is good. It's best. It's glorious. There's no guile in Him. There's no deceit to be found. So I have to conclude that it's my fallen mind and your fallen mind that has a hard time wrestling through some of these heavy truths to come to a place to where we want to box it in to our understanding. And so we must simply trust God at His Word and what He says. You know, I talked about, again, it's not by merit, but uh, for those, and this is back into the context picture of what's going on with the Israelites in Malachi's book. Because again, I told you I didn't want to lose sight, and it's easy to get down the rabbit hole and lose sight. He's telling the people that, remember who, who what, what seed did you come through, Israelite? You came through the seed of Jacob. Did I not promise your forefathers that it would... That, all the way back, let's go back to Adam and Eve, right? Through your seed, Eve. Through your seed, through your seed, Eve. The Messiah will come. There's the promise. There's the promised seed, Jesus Christ. So God, in honoring His Word, God, in keeping His Word, which is true by His very nature, it has to come through the promised seed. Jacob is the promised seed. God's chosen people are the people of Israel. Let me ask you a question. Was all of Israel saved? Was the nation, the people, were all the descendants of Abraham going to be saved? No. We're going we're to see this here in just a second. Again, when you see these things being used, he's not drilling down on individuals per se as much as he's talking about a group, a segment, a people group. Let me, look, we'll get to that. Hold that thought. Listen, 
relationship always, relationship always precedes requirement. You, you want to know how I love you? Are you? Do you not remember Esau? Do you not know who you are? God is saying. We have this relationship. We have this covenant relationship. Relationship always precedes requirement. You should be living different because of whose you are. Church, we should be living different because of whose we are, because of our relationship. I'm not required to come to church. I'm not required to read my Bible. I'm not required to do good deeds in order to somehow earn brownie points with God. I want to and desire to do the things that God has said to do in His Word because of the relationship in which I'm in His promised seed, Jesus Christ. And it's the Spirit of God that, that rejuvenates and renews and strengthens me day by day. And when I feed the Spirit of God it, that, that dwells within me, sealed until the day of redemption, through the Word of God, it gives me the tools that I need and it gives me the ability to no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh, but desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not perfect. Of course I'm not perfect. I fall every day in my life of thought and actions. I do not live up to the standards of God's perfection. But His Son's standard always satisfies. And my faith is in His finished work. And so if you get your eyes off of me and put your eyes on Christ, I promise you, you will not fail in your faith. We've got to learn to shift our focus from the shortcomings of one another. Because I promise, we want to go down a list of shortcomings. Oh, I got a list I could give you of myself. And I got a pretty good one of you if I wanted to keep a record, right? Vice versa. Guys, that's not where it's at. That's what the Israelites were doing. This is what the, 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 the Pharisees end up doing. This is what the Sadducees and the religious people, and that's not where it's to be found. Remember God's promise. Remember God's plan. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. C.J.H. Wright explains it this way. He said, God did not send Moses down to Egypt with the law already tucked under his cloak. Instead, he miraculously delivered them from the oppression of the Egyptians, protected them from the ten plagues, and supernaturally parted the Red Sea before giving the law. That is, God showed grace to the generation under the guidance of Moses before making covenantal demands. Likewise, God in Malachi 1-2 reminded the Jews of His grace before reminding them of His law. You see, this is teeing them up because we're getting ready to get into some more of these disputes because their worship had gone lackluster. They were apathetic and they were complacent before a holy God. So God wants to remind them of the relationship, the promise. And church, I want to remind you this morning of the relationship, of the promise that God has given you, that it might invigorate you, that it might help you to understand whose you are. Notice if you would. By the way, let me say this because I, I, I need to say this. On that Hebrews 12, I don't, I don't want you to go out of here missing this point. It said that he sought what and didn't find it. Even though it said, it used the word repentant, and lots of tears. What did it say he was seeking? The blessing. See, that's the problem with a lot of people. They want what's on the master's table. They don't want the master. And you best not lose that 
when we sort through a very difficult passage like that. Judas was repentant, it says. Scripture uses that word. But not a saving repentance. There's a difference between remorse and repentance, biblical repentance. You understand the difference, right? And so, he wanted the blessing. He didn't want the blesser. We got a movement in Christianity that wants the gift, not the giver. It's a big difference. We don't obey and honor in order to receive His love. We do so in response to His love. Let me say that again. We don't obey and honor in order to receive His love. We do so in response to His love. Let me move quickly because time's getting away from us. Consider this passage. And this is what he's trying to remind the Israelite people. He says, for, for you are a holy people to the Lord. Your God, the Lord your God, has chosen you to be a people for Himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people or you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers. You see, this is about God's name. This is about God's glory. This is about God keeping His promise. It has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with Him and who He is and what He can and cannot do. And He cannot lie. And He must always be good. And He always must be great and sovereign. This is who God is. He's simply honoring His Word. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. You see, relationship always requires response, does it not? And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates Him. He will repay him to His face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. I'll never forget Pastor Mark Stugemeyer coming here as a guest speaker. One of his most memorable messages. God hates you! You remember that message? Yeah. I got a lot of phone calls after that message. Just kidding, I did. <laughs> I really did. Mark's now going to be like, ah. anyway. That's right, exactly. It's Scripture. He just simply read the Scripture. That's what it says, doesn't it? He hates the wicked. He's angry with the wicked all day, every day, guys. And we, too, once were dead in our trespasses, we, too, once were children of wrath. That's what Scripture says. The abiding wrath of God. If we got what we deserve, if we got what we deserve, we deserve the hatred and the, and the judgment of God. we got to get out of this feel-good society that has somehow created this softness that somehow God loves you. He does love you in Christ. 
Because Christ is the only one who meets His fulfillment. Christ is the only one who, who maintains that, uh, that relationship that was in perfect union prior to anything ever coming into existence in time, space, and matter. And it's in Christ Jesus where you and I will find that same relationship in grace. Notice what he says here in Galatians 3, 6-9. through 9. We need to move even quicker. Uh, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Remember, it's not all Israel. This is what he's telling us. Paul's telling us this in the New Testament. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham before saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's important, guys. That's important. Do we not understand what's happening here? So... The sovereignty of God is on full display. But the responsibility of man is also on full display. There's a tension in Scripture that is there. And we can't dismiss it. It's there. The Arminians and the Calvinists have, have debated for, for ages, right? Somebody said it this way, better to be at home with your Bible and not your theology than to be at home with your theology and not your Bible. The Scriptures teach these truths, and regardless of your presupposed eisegesis ideas that have been influenced by man, we must simply exegete what the truth of the Scripture is. And when I read these passages that have been on full display today before you, there are some things that leap off the page. One of those things is the contrast between the children of the promise and the children of the flesh. Romans 9, 6 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. 1 Corinthians 15.22 and verse 45 also says this, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In all of these passages, even the one before us in Malachi, he is speaking to a people's group. And I can't rightly divide this word and say that, okay, I'm okay to accept Esau as an individual right here in this moment, but not also be, then I'd have to also say Adam as an individual person in this moment. Or Israel in this. No, no, the passage is saying, look, not everyone who's of Abraham's descendants in the flesh are of the promise. Is it fair then to, to say that 
there might not be some from the descendant line of Jacob or Esau? Does he not also begin to make broad strokes about Israel and the Gentiles, which pretty much encompasses everybody else but the Israelites? Are there not Gentiles saved? Of course there are. How are they all saved? Regardless of which lineage you're in, how are they all saved? Through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the promised seed. And those whose faith is placed in Jesus Christ are those of the promise. By the way, who were the people of Esau? The Edomites. God did keep His word. We're going to look at this. We're going to have to pause here. We're going to pick up right here next week because we're not done with this. This is only partial opening of this account. And I don't want you to miss this because you miss this. You're going to miss the, the, the point, the conclusion of all of this tension that's being presented today. The Edomites, go, go, go read uh, Ob- Obadiah. Yeah, read Obadiah, the whole chapter. It, it speaks of the Edomites, the Esau's descendants. They rejected God. See what happens to people who reject God. Be reminded of the New Testament. that In the New Testament it tells us that to be a friend with the world is to be at enmity with God. God hates the wicked still today. And we were of the children of wrath. So were such some of you prior to the grace found in Christ Jesus So were we apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that blows like the wind and awakens us to the faith in Christ Jesus. To hold to those promises, to live out a life by faith. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next time. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we're only partially uh, looking at this point into these truths, but what is the point again of this passage? What is God's desire for the people in Malachi's day, and what is his point for us today? Simply put, God loves us. He's given us a promise. And He's chosen the gospel to be preached throughout the world to all the nations, to all the peoples. And Lord, I pray that it's Your Spirit that is at work in and through Your gospel seed that when it's faithfully sown, faithfully watered, You will bring the increase. Because salvation is of the Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you will have your will in your way in our midst today. And if there be anyone here that is currently a child of the flesh, I pray that they would hear and become a child of the promise. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray you will grant repentance and faith today that we might have ears to hear 
and eyes to see. Help us for those who know you to rekindle the love we once had, recognizing the history of your great love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.